right, if you guys got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, we're going to continue in our study of this great sermon that Jesus preached towards the end of his ministry, and he's preaching on his second coming. And I've said this repeatedly, this is the Jesus on his own second coming, and it may be the greatest teaching in the entire Bible on uh, the events of the return of Christ. And we've turned the page on this, where we're not necessarily talking about the details of his return, but how we can be prepared for his return. And in preparing us for the return of Christ, he's come to tell stories. And this is the, the, the third story that he's told. And this one that we're going to look at today is a long one, verses 14 through 30. And it's a simple story that he tells. I think it's also a very well-known story. I think everybody in here has probably heard this story that he told before. But I think it's a tragic story. Maybe one of the most tragic stories in the entire Bible. Because it's a story of... Uh, a wasted life, a man who spent his entire life in the wrong way, and he, at the end of his life, realized that he wasted it all. So the, the, the main point of the entire passage is pointing a finger at everybody in here and saying, don't waste your life. That's the whole point of the whole sermon, and it's not a somebody else sermon. Let's not, let's not look across the room at anybody else. This is a finger pointing at you sermon, at me sermon. Don't waste your life. So let's stand together, and I, I want to read these verses. I know it's longer than, than normal for me. I usually cover three or four verses, and today we're going to look at uh, 16 verses. So you guys, I hope you brought a packed lunch. Uh, I hope you're ready for this, starting in verse 14 and reading through verse 30. It says in, in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them over other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged a hole in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of the servants comes, and he reckons with them. And so he that had received the five talents came and brought other five talents, and saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me the five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. So enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that received the two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that, that, thee, that, that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and him and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very serious, very tragic story of a wasted life. Don't waste your life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for passages like this that gets us to examine ourselves. 
this is really the third one in a row that we've studied, and, and I think that's where we are in the season of, of our lives as a church, that you want us to examine our lives and see how we're living and to see if we're prepared and ready for your return. We know that it is, it is, your return is fast approaching and all the things are falling in line, so we need to be getting ourselves ready. So God, I pray that you would use this passage today to prepare all of our hearts, that we would not waste any second of any day as long as we live. Help us, God, please, to not waste our lives, but to live lives that are worthy of you. Help me to teach these things, and I would pray again that you'd help Brandon today, as he's probably standing up right now to preach. May you be honored by what I preach him and also by what he preaches. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We have all been given a one-time gift from God. And that gift that he's given us, and everybody in here has been given that gift. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, obvious, it's clear. We've all been given a one-time gift from God. And that gift that he gives us is a little thing called life. And in that life, we're all sitting here, we're living, we're breathing, we have life. We've been given life by God. And in that life, we have, on average, I looked it up, some will get shorter, some will get longer, but on average, every single one of us might have 79 years to live. That's the average lifespan in, in I guess, in America today, 79 years. We also would get 28,000 some days, and we would get 692,000 hours of life. We've all been given a great gift, a one-time gift from God, a thing called life. And that life that he gives, and for some, 79 years may sound like a long time, but it's not a very long time. It's a short window that we have to live this life. And you guys know that 79 years will go like that. Ecclesiastes said it's, it's a, life is like a vapor, that it's here one second and it's gone the next. That it's like the, the steam off my coffee this morning, that, that if you let it sit for just a few minutes, that steam will go away. And it's the same thing with life. I don't care if you're young or you're old, you know that life will pass you by just like this. We were watching a, a, an old videotape of me playing basketball when I was in high school last night with the kids. Sometimes you have to bring those things out just to let the kids know how great you were. <laughs> just to remind them, I'm better than you. And there I was, a 17-year-old boy, and I looked at Steph and I said, where is the time gone? I now have a 16-year-old daughter that, that's, uh, that's almost the same age as I was. When, and, and it seemed like that was just, just the other day. I remember it like it was yesterday. And here I am now. I've, I've gone from a 17-year-old boy that was great at sports. <laughs> and here I am now, 41 years old with five kids. Where did the time go? It passes you by like this. We've all been given a one-time gift from God, this thing called life, and it's passing every single one of us by as fast as it can. So we have to ask ourselves, and you, you need to do this, how am I living that life that God has given me? We need to examine. It's good for us to, to have passages like this where we're just not living through life and letting it pass us by. But we stop for just, here we are today for an hour, and we're going to stop right now, and we're going to think, and we're going to examine, and we're going to look at our lives, and we're going to say, am I living my life, my years, my days, my hours in a way that would be honoring to God, or am I wasting it away? None of us want to get to the end of our life and to say, I've wasted the time that God has given me. We need to examine ourselves to see how we're spending our time. This life that God has given us. Because one day, and that's what Jesus is reminding us of here, every single one of us will stand before God 
at the day of judgment and we will give an account to God for every year that we had, every day that we spent, and every hour of our life. We will all give an account for God for this life that He has so graciously given us. And that's what Jesus is reminding them here. Don't waste that time that I've given you. Don't waste the life that I've laid in front of you. He's told us that He's coming back. We know that. He's made that perfectly clear in Matthew 24. He's coming back. That's a, that's a certainty. So now with these a series of parables that He's given us in order to prepare us for that, here's how to be ready. Here's how to, to be prepared for the coming of Christ. Three stories to prepare us for His coming. And the story that we have here today, I, I, I love it. Because it tells us that in order to be prepared, it takes more than watching. Most people think, even the disciples, when Jesus ascended, they sit there and watched. Let's just wait for him to come back. And the angel looked at him and said, well, why stand you gazing? The same Jesus who ascended, he's coming back. You guys need to go out and, and not just watch for his return, but work until he returns. So this parable here today is going to teach us that we're not just to spend our days sitting up on a mountain somewhere, waiting and watching for Him to return, we need to spend our days working until He returns. So the way not to waste your life is to spend it working for Christ. So that's what we're going to see here today. We need to be living fruitful and productive lives. That's the whole point of this parable. We need to get to work. We need to be productive. We need to to work hard until the day Jesus comes back. Don't waste your life. So let's look at it. I've, I've broken these verses down into three words. Not even three points. I'm going to give you three words today. Very, very simple as we work our way through this story. I want to show you the, the first word I want you to write down if you're taking notes or to, to grab onto is giving. It, it starts here with giving. That the, um, a master is giving something to his servants. Look what it says in verse 14. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a, like a man traveling into a far country. So this, he's, he's talking about a man taking a trip. This is a, a very common thing. Uh, in those days, people took trips. They, they would, and they would take a long trip. It'd be a long journey. They didn't have cars or trains or airplanes. So if they were going to take a trip, they had to, to get on an animal, a donkey or a, a camel, and they had to pack their things, and they would leave it all behind, and they would say, we're heading out. We don't know when we're coming back. And they'd take their journey and, and get that. They didn't know how long they'd be gone. Who knows what they're going to run into? We're going to take a trip, and who knows when we're coming back. It could be a week, it could be a a month, it could be years. So we're leaving, and we don't know when we're coming back. That's kind of telling us what Jesus is saying. I'm 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 leaving, I'm ascending. Not going to tell you when I'm coming back, but I need you to do some things while I'm gone. So he takes a trip. This very wealthy man takes a trip for an unknown amount of time. And he has slaves that he leaves behind. It says that. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country, that's a far country. He's going a long way away. I get a schedule for our kids' basketball games sometimes, and they'll say, like, Hayside. I'm like, oh, traveling into a far country. <laughs> Twin Springs, Honeacre, far country. It's a long way. That's what he's saying. This is a long drive. This is a, a long trek that he's taking. He said he called his own servants, and he delivered unto him his goods. He called his slaves. We need to know who we are in this story. Jesus is the very wealthy man taking the trip. You get that? 
He's the, he's the one who, who came into this world. He's the one who lived the perfect life. He's the one who, who died for our sins. He's the one who was buried and, and then was resurrected. And then he, he took a journey to a far country. He ascended into heaven and he says, I'm coming back and we are the slaves that he leaves here. That's who we are. We always need to know who we are in the story. People get this mixed up all the time. You hear about David and Goliath. They'll say, there's David with his stone slinging at the giant. and I'm David and my problems in life are Goliath. You're not David. In that story, Jesus is David. And he's the one destroying our enemy, which is seeing death and hell. We're the ones in the background kind of hiding, saying we need somebody to do something. And that somebody's Jesus. We get that stuff mixed up all the time. I'm... I'm Doc, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but I, I hear people say, well, Jesus ate with sinners, so I can too. You don't know who you are in that story. I'm not Jesus eating with sinners. I'm the sinner that Jesus eats with. So who are we in this story? Jesus is a very wealthy man taking the trip, and I'm the, the slave who's left behind. I'm his servant. That's who we are. He's Lord. We're the slaves. That's our relationship to him. I probably took five minutes too long there. But he leaves, and he goes away, and then he lines his servants up, and he divides out all of his goods. You take care of this, you take care of this, you take care of this while I'm gone. The servants are all lined up, and the master's saying, I've got some for you, and I've got some for you, and I've got some for you. And look what he says, I like this. To one, he gave five talents. To the other he gave two, and to another he gave one. And this talent is a very large sum of money. There's different commentators would say differently about how much it, it, it could be, but each one talent is a very large sum of money, to the point where they say the guy who got five talents got a hundred years' worth of money. And the guy who got two would get 40 years' worth of money. And the guy who got one would get 20 years worth of money. This is a very large amount of money. So that they're sitting there and they're not saying, well, I'm just getting pennies here. They're getting a lot. The master is very generous with what he hands out. And he gives each one according to their ability. He knows exactly how much each one can handle. The master knows his servants. He knows I can give this one five, and I can give this one two, and I can give this one one. He knows his servants. He knows how to hand out these things. It shows us a couple of valuable lessons here that the master determines the amount. He gives what he wants. He knows what to give. It's up to him. And for us, God determines what we get in life. I don't think we understand that. He is sovereign, and he knows what to give every single one of us. He gives differently to all of us. We could go around the room today, and we could say, God's given you this much time. To some people, they live 20 years. To some, 40. To some, we'll live 100. And there's all kinds of different in between, but God knows exactly how much to give every single person that he gives to. And it's not equal to every single one. So God, in his wisdom and his sovereignty, knows exactly how much time to give some, how many opportunities to give others, how many talents. He gives some the ability to do things that he, he doesn't give others the ability to do. He gives some five kids, me. He gives others no kids. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to hand those things out. I was watching the video last night of me playing basketball. And I said, Steph, can you imagine that kid right there is going to have five kids of his own one day? Looking back, I would have said, no way. God knows what he's doing. He's handing these things out. He, he's over it all. 
He knows what to do. He knows best. All different, all by design. Get this, some people make a lot of money, some people make hardly any money. Who's the one who determines that? God determines that. All, all different, all by design. He gives us, he sees fit. He did the same with, with Peter and, and the disciples and he had the, the inner four. We're not all given the same amount. It's okay to be a one if that's what God's given you. We don't live in a in this thing where it's everybody gets the exact same thing. God gives you five and you five and you five. We're all going to live to 79 years old. Exactly. He's giving each his own. And I'll say this too, and I've got to get going. But I think the master is incredibly generous. He didn't have to give anybody anything, did he? If I line my kids up and said, okay, Isaiah, you get five. Gracie, you get two. Christian, you get one. Chris is going to look around and say, what in the world is dad doing? That's so unfair. Well, I didn't have to give any of you anything at all. Not one cent of this is yours. Everything that you have is a gracious, generous gift from God. Every breath that you breathe is a gracious, generous gift from God. None of that belongs to you. Not one penny of this money belonged to these servants. It all belonged to the Master. So everything that we have in life has come to us by the generous, gracious hand of Almighty God. I like that. God's been generous to every single one of us. I think, and they wouldn't just, they wouldn't cash. They'd give these guys a bag of coins. And I pictured that. And what's in my bag that God has given me? He's been such a kind and generous master to give me what he's given me. I think every single one of us are as blessed as anybody who's ever lived in this world. What has the master given you? What's in your bag that he's handed out to you? He said, here's what you get. I believe all of our bags are full. I believe we are as rich as we could ever be. I believe that we are the most blessed generation that has ever lived in the history of the world. He has given us breath in our lungs right now. That's a gift from God. He's given us all things. I mean, look, look at us. We have clothes on our back. We have roofs over our head. We have food in our bellies. And every bit of that has come from the generous, gracious hand of God. He's, he's been very good to us. He's been very kind to us. He's given us all things. If He saved you, He's, he's given you that. If you have a Bible in your house and you can open it up, there have been generations who have been, who have not been given a, a Bible to open up and to read on their own. We are, we are the fives in this. We're not the ones. You've been given a church that preaches for an hour at a time. That's giving you a, an abundance of, of doctrine and theology and Bible and teaching. There are people who sit for 20 minute TED talks. Don't get near what our church gets. We are the fives, not the ones. We have family. We have opportunities. We have money. You say, well, we're poor. Compared to who? Third world countries would look at the, the poorest person in this room and say, you've been given a five. We have the one. So what's in your bag that God's given you? The time, the talents, the opportunities, the people around you, the, the family that he's given you, the friends at the job you work at, all that has been given to you by God. And we are all, get this, moving to the next point, responsible for how we spend it. 
That's what he says. Watch this. If that's the giving, that, that the master is giving to the servants, then now we get to the, the second word that I want you to grab onto, the spending. How will they use it? How will we use it? Look what it says. He straightway took his journey. He took off. He left them. Verse 15. Then verse 16. You're going to see two different types of people and how they spend what God, what the master has given them. This is where we are. We're here. He said, then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. That, that verse 16, actually, in if you look at it in the original languages, it starts out with, then he immediately. He, he took off excited. I've been given five talents. I'm going to take off and I'm going to use this for my master. This guy is, it's his greatest joy to serve the master. This is his heart. He's, he's using everything that he's been given for the master and he's going to use it until the master returns. This guy's excited. He's, he's ready to go. He's, he's eager. He's enthusiastic. Let's get to work. In verse 17, it says the other guy that had two. He didn't sit there and say, Oh, I've only been given two. I'm not going to do as much. He went out and done it. It says the same thing. Look what it says. And likewise, same way. Urgently, uh, eagerly, enthusiastically, he says, he takes off and gained him two more. These guys were excited, ready to go. You know why? Because the highest, noblest, best thing you can do in life is serve your master. Amen. You say, oh, you can apply that? I was praying that for my kids the other day because I always I pray over them when I get up in the morning. And I'll go in each one of their rooms and there Gracie Bell is and there's Isaiah and there's Christian and there's... Emma, and there's Hallie, and I'm sitting there praying over my kids. And I said, God, give them, give them guidance on what they're going to do in their life. I want them to make the right career choices. I was praying that. And I thought, well, what do I want them to do? What, what, would that, what would be right there? And then I stopped and I said, God, I, I'm not really worried about their career choices. Just help them to serve you all their days. And whatever they do in their occupation doesn't really matter. Just let them have, understand that the highest, noblest, best thing that they can do, no matter what their job is, is to serve the master. So they worked and they served and they gave everything they had. They gave max effort. Spent their time serving the master. They may have went out and bought a field. And, and they, they worked that field. And they planted and they sowed and they, they watered. And, and they, they worked it tirelessly day after day after day. So that they could take that investment and, and make it into something more. Not for themselves. Not building up barns and lives for themselves. But building it for the master. In the end, they got maximum return. They doubled what they got. These two, the one that got the five and the one that got the two, were profitable, fruitful servants. They had something of value to show over their life when the master returned. These two had a life well spent for the master. I think their entire work and labor was an expression of love and devotion and loyalty to the master. He's got to get that. And then, verse 17, likewise. There's always an, op an opposite. There's always a, okay, here's two, and then there's another one. There was the, the foolish bridesmaids, and then there, there were wise bridesmaids. So now we've done the two who worked hard, and, and their life was worthy. And now we're going to have the life that was wasted. Look at this next guy. And th th this is a totally different attitude. Verse 18, it says, but he that had received the one... This guy's not excited at all. He's not eager at all. 
This guy's grudgingly. He's not excited. He's not upbeat about it. He's not, wow, I got one. I've got, I've got to get this to work. Look what he does. It's like when you tell your kids to go do something. You got one kid that's like, yes, I get to go do something. Not too many times. And then you got the other that's like, all right. That's the difference here. You got one that's like, these two that's like, yes, we get to go and serve the master. It's the highest, the noblest, and the best thing that we can do. Let's go spend maximum effort for our master. And you got the other guy saying, ugh, got to serve the master. So look what he does. He goes out and he digs a hole. I mean, it took some effort to dig the hole. He put the money in the hole. That was the bank back then. You didn't have banks. You go in and put it in the, in, in the ground. So he digs a hole and he left it there and took off to live his life however he wanted to live it. He, he didn't, get this, he didn't, he didn't embezzle it. He didn't spend it in righteous living like the prodigal son. He didn't steal it and take off and use it for his own gain. He just took it and he, and he put it in a hole. And he, and he put the dirt back over it and he, and he walked away and, and that's all that he did. He, he let it go. He, he didn't think anything else about it. And he said, it'll be there when the master returns. And he went on and he lived his life however he wanted to live it. I don't know what he did, but he didn't live for the master. It doesn't say how he lived. Did he go get a job? Maybe. Did he marry somebody? Maybe. Did he have some kids? Maybe. Did he buy a car and buy a house and spend hours at a time binge watching Netflix? I don't know what he did. He could have done an abundance of things. He could have had some kids and they could have been travel baseball. I mean, he could have been doing all kinds of other things. But the one thing he wasn't doing, I don't know what he did, but I know what he didn't do. He didn't spend his time serving the master. Not one thought about the master. This shows, for me, uh, do nothing Christian. And I say Christian like this. Made nothing, did nothing, invested in nothing that lasts, has nothing of eternal value to show when the, when the, the master comes back. What a wasted life. There are always the two, these two types of Christians in churches. Those who do everything top Christians and cannot stop serving the master. You've got to love those in the church. They just can't stop. They're tireless. They're like the Energizer Bunny. That's a, that's a reference to way back when I was 16 years old. Just keeps on going and going and going and going and, and never stops serving the Master. You have the do-everything type Christians and then you have the, the do-nothing type Christians. Which are you? How are you spending your life? Because we have a responsibility with everything that God has given us. It matters how we live our lives. The way we live our lives reflects our heart towards the master. Do you, you get that? The two that spent their life serving the master showed a heart of love, devotion to him. Loyalty to him. And the one who wasted his life showed disregard for the master. They did whatever they wanted to do. So which one are you? You say, well, don't make that big a difference. Wait till this next point. I've shown you the giving, and then I showed you the spending. One more word, the reckoning. The reckoning. It says in verse 19, after a long time, which keeps on telling us, in all these parables, 
He's kind of letting the disciples know this isn't going to happen very soon. I'm not going to ascend and come right back down a week later. I'm going to be gone a while. And we know that, that he ascended and he's been gone a while, but we know he's coming back. We just don't know when. So he says, after a while, an extended time, he comes back. The master returns. And it says the word there, which is the word I use for this point, that after a long time, the Lord of those servants comes, and here's your word, and reckoneth with them. He's coming back to compare the accounts. He's coming back to settle the accounts. That's what the word means. He's coming back to check the books. He's coming back to see what they've done. He's coming back, I would say, to judge. Steph sometimes leaves me with the kids to do homeschool with them. And she'll look at me and she'll say, each one of the kids has a certain amount of work to do. Here's what they should get done while I'm gone. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. She leaves, kids go to your rooms and do it. She'll text me and say, I'm on my way. I'm frantic. Kids, have you done anything while she's gone? She's going to check you can't hide it from her. She's going to break it out and she's going to say, here's the to-do list. Have you marked it off and said, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it. She'll know. There's going to come a day of reckoning for the kids. And you know, they're sitting there trying to frantically, oh no, Dad, we, we wasted our time on PlayStation. And then this is, that's what came to my mind when I saw this. The judge is coming back. What have you been doing while he's away? He's going to reckon with you. What does this mean? There's coming a judgment day. Get this. This, this is for us. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. For we must all. How many is all? Everybody. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body, in his life. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Every single one of us, one by one, will stand before the master. The Lord, the owner, the creator. And we will give an account for what we've done in our lives. What we've done with what he's given us. What we've done with our talents, what we've done with our time, what we've done with our money, what we've done with the, the opportunities that we have, what we've done with, with all the, the privileges that He's given us. And we in this generation are the most privileged generation of all time. What have you done with it? And get this, we will appear one by one. It won't be me and my kids together. Dad, go with me. It won't be me and Steph. Everywhere we go now, it's, it's Josh and Steph, Josh and Steph, Josh and Steph. We're never apart. There's Josh, there's Steph. It's been that way for years. And I hope it's that way until the end. But one day, it won't be Josh and Steph. It'll just be Josh walking up to the Master and giving account of all that He's given me. And I, I have so much to be accountable for. Every sermon that I've preached, I'll be held accountable for. Every person in this church. Sometimes you want to think, I, I need a smaller church. I've got to give an account for every individual in this church. I have a great responsibility here. You have great responsibility. You'll stand before God. He'll say, how many kids did I give you? What did you do with them? Did you take them to church? 
Hmm. Did you teach them the Bible? What did you do? I've got five. <laughs> How'd you do with Gracie Bell? Did you guard her heart? Did you protect her? How about Isaiah? What about Christian? I've got five kids. I've got a big church. I've got, I, I, I preach three or four sermons a week. I'm going to have to stand before God by myself and answer for everything that I've done in my life before my master. Yes, we all, everyone must appear. One by one, me, and then, and then staff by herself as a mother in, in our home. The role that God has given her. God gave me great responsibility in my home. He gave staff a different responsibility in the home. It's not about how much we've been given. It's about being faithful with what God's given. And then my kids will stand before God and give an account for what they've done. And you will too. Spurgeon said this, Remember, my dear hearer, that in the day of judgment... Thy account must be personal. God will not ask you what your church did. God will not ask you what others did. We're good at looking at others. God will ask you what you did. So here it is. One by one, they stand before the master. Look what it says in verse 20. And so he that had received five talents came. There it is, one by one. The five talent guy showed up. And I can imagine, you get this, the five talent guy is eager, is excited, is ready. He's done his best. He has something to show. This is, this is the type of person the scripture speaks of when it says that you're not ashamed at his coming. That you have boldness in the day of judgment because you've done everything that you can in life and now you can step before the master and you can say, I did the very best that I could do with what you've given me. That guy's ready to stand before God. He's not ashamed. He's bold. Then the two talent guy in verse 22, he does the same thing. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, he's, he's excited. Look, look God what I've done for you. I've given my best. I love the two-talent guy. He's my favorite. He shows up and he says, you gave me two. And I was faithful with the two. Whatever God's given you, it's not about how much you do. It's about being faithful with what God has given you. Maybe he hasn't given you five kids. Be faithful with the one kid you have. Maybe he's not giving you a church. Be faithful with where he's put you. Maybe you don't have, uh, maybe I'm not Charles Spurgeon preaching to 10,000 people, but I have my hundred be faithful with that, Josh. So I, I, I said, I've, I've done it. It's not about how much you've done. It's about what you do with what you're given. So he says, I, I've got two. <laughs> and then he, he gives a reward to them. Look at this. Both of them. I'm, I'm doing okay on time. He says, Lord, the guy received five talents, came and brought his five talents, and he said, Lord, you gave me five I've gained five more. Can you imagine how excited he is? I've done my best. I have something of eternal value to give you. Here. The guy with two says, here. You gave me two. I've added two more. I've done this for you while you were away. What can you hand the master when he returns? Say, here's what I've done for you while you were away. And the master looks at them both. It's the same thing. Same, same. You get, you get that? One got five. One got two. They both were faithful with what God had given them. And they both get the same reward. 
Look what it says. I'm, I'm just going to, that's what I'm going through. I don't have to go one by one through this because it's the same. I love that. The, the one who got a lot and the one who got a little all got the same reward. They were faithful with the five and they were faithful with the two. So God rewards them with the, the same thing. Now get this, that I may be, this is, this is good. I think about these things. It, it, was, it was George Whitfield who said he was completely opposite of John Wesley and what they believed. George Whitfield was a, what they call a Calvinist, and, and John Wesley was a, an Arminian. They were com- odds, complete odds. And somebody walked up to George Whitfield one time and said, Do you think that John Wesley will be in heaven? And George Whitfield said, I, I don't think I'll see him in heaven. They said, Oh, you, know, you don't think they're saved? He said, No, 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 no. I think he'll be up close, so close to the throne of God that I won't even be able to see him. He said, I, I, I think he's going to be up front. I think there'll be people who you have no idea. You may think, oh, the guys up front are Charles Spurgeon. The guys up front are the, the big wigs who did all the, the, the Billy Grahams of the world. But I think there'll be guys who had one or two that God's given them in the church somewhere and somewhere that nobody ever saw. Maybe even a mother sitting at the house has given a few kids that she's been a, a housewife her entire life and she was faithful with the children and the home and the husband that God had given her and she's standing right beside Charles Spurgeon in heaven. Just be faithful with what God's given you. That's what he's asking. Look at the rewards. I don't think you could hear any greater words in in all the world. This is all I want to hear when I stand before the master. This is all I want to hear. Look what it says. Verse 21. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the... You've done a good job. That's all we want to hear. There are people in our world today who live for likes on social media. And they'd rather have a hundred, a thousand likes on a picture than one well done from the master. We don't want the culture to be pleased with us. We don't want the world to be pleased with us. We don't want the politicians to be pleased with us. We don't want anybody else to be pleased with us. All we want at the end of our life is for the master to say, you've done a good job. That's all, that's all we live for. Success in the Christian life is hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It pleased him. I did that yesterday with Isaiah. He played basketball all day. And I give him a hard time. I jump on him. I tell him what he's done wrong. Always correcting him, telling him he's not as good as I was. <laughs> Watch this, you know. <laughs> but he walked off the court last night, and I looked at him, and I said, That's the, I am so proud of you. You've done a remarkable job. And I hugged him. And I got home last night, and I said, That's all I want from my Heavenly Father, is you've done a good job. We live to please him. We live, the old reforms quote is sola de gloria. We live for his glory alone. At the end of our lives, all we want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. Second, look what he gives them. Not just what he tells them, but what he gives them. Here's the reward, more service. <laughs> you, you see that? 
His Lord said, him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you ruler over many things. I'm going to give you more responsibilities. This is, and this goes back to when we get in, into heaven, there will be different responsibilities for people based on their faithfulness in life here. Heaven isn't a harp and a cloud that we sit in and it's, it's boring. We don't know a whole lot about what we'll be doing in heaven, but we do know that when we get to heaven, there'll be different rewards and responsibilities and even roles in heaven based upon what we did here on earth. We know that there's, there's different roles and there's different responsibilities for different angels in heaven. There's, there's order in heaven. It's a, it's a kingdom. There's a king and, and, he's, and, he, and he gives out different responsibilities. And we know that what we do here matters in eternity. We know that we're saved by grace. That's what Ephesians 2 says. You get to heaven by grace. But it says we are his workmanship. Made to work. So how we serve him here matters. There's a whole generation of Christians who say, save by grace, live however I want to live. I'm in heaven, that's all that matters. And I get that. Heaven is, is wonderful. And you, you get there by what Jesus did for you, not by your works or your service. But when you get there, he's going to hand out, you are faithful here, I'll give you more here. Not just what he tells them and what he gives them, but where he takes them. He says, enter into my joy. Verse 21, and again in verse 23, enter into the joy of my Lord, of thy Lord. Come share in happiness with me. Come on in, guys. This is heaven. This is the, the wedding of the last parable. It's the best part that you get to enter in and, and to share the joy and the happiness of the Master. Amen. And all this, again, and, and I'll move on. It wasn't about how much. It wasn't about how successful or your position that you held. It's all about being faithful with what God has given you. So there's the good one. The reward for the fruitful. Let me show you the punishment for the fruitless. We've had the five walk up, rewarded. The two walk up, rewarded. Now the one walks up, and again, just like he had a different attitude in his service for the master... He now has a different attitude in how he interacts with the master here. This is so disrespectful. Look what it says. Here's the next guy. Verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came. And this is the drama of the text here. You need to feel verse 24. Because when he walks in, he's not enthusiastic. He's not happy. He has nothing to show for it. He's not looking forward to it. He's, he's not loving his appearing. He's not uh, bold in the day of judgment. He, he's not uh, excited because he has nothing at all to show with the life that he lived. Nothing. He's walking in empty-handed. Can you imagine? He's not very happy. Uh-oh. Wringing his hands. You know, give me some of yours. And give me some of yours. I ain't done nothing. And then it says, next. You got people behind him pushing. Glad I'm not that guy. And he walks in. And he makes excuses. It's amazing to me that people today in the church, when you ask them to do something, always make excuses. And here they stand before God and they make an excuse. Look at it. Then he which received the one talent came in and he said, and here's his excuse. He demeans the very character of the master who gave it to him. 
You're a hard man to please. That's what he says. Look, I knew you're, you're a hard man. I, I know that you're mean. I know that you're unkind. I know that you ask way too much of us. I know that there's no way that I could ever please you with my life. You get that? That's what he's saying. These other two had a well-pleasing life because they were faithful with what they were given. And he stands before the Master and says, I couldn't please you. You're a hard man to please. Don't you ever view God in that way. Just be faithful to what He's given you. He don't know who God is. He don't know who His Master is. You're a hard man to please. I can never get your smile. You mean Master, you. And then He says, not only He's a hard man, but He's an unfair man. Look what He says. Uh, again, verse 24. I know you're a hard man that you reap where you haven't sown and you gather what you haven't strawed. That I would do the work and you'd take it from me. Why would I spend my life serving somebody, slaving for somebody, when all that you're going to do is take it from me when I'm when you come back? Why would I do that? So instead of serving you, I do all the work and you get all the, the benefits of it. Why would I do that? I'll just spend my life serving myself. Man. This attitude about the master was wrong. Does this sound like a saved man to you? This sounds like a man who never knew the grace and the generosity of the master. This sounds like a man who may have pretended to be a slave to belong to the master, but he didn't. This guy doesn't know God at all. So he says, I knew you was a hard man. I knew you was a stingy man. I knew you was an unfair man. And I was afraid of that. Back to the Fear of God series I'm doing on Wednesday nights. I was afraid of what you do. He wasn't in awe of the master. He was scared of the master. So he says, here's what I did. I just took and buried it. So here it is. Here's the one you gave me. Verse 25. I did nothing. I have nothing. I've wasted my life. And the master says, I've got time. Guys, hang on. Watch this. He says, verse 26, his Lord answered and said unto him, and I want you to draw an arrow from what he says to this guy to what he says to the others. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. And here he calls him not a good and faithful, but a wicked and slothful servant. It's the worst thing you could ever hear. Wicked for how you viewed me. Slothful for how you served me. How you view the master will affect how you live for the master. You with me on that? He viewed the master as mean and stingy and unfair and unjust. And because of that, he didn't serve the master at all. But the ones who saw the Master as generous and and gracious and and kind and and loving, I can't believe He gave me so much! Served Him all their life. You wicked viewed me wrong. Lazy servant. You didn't do nothing, you lazy thing. I read an article this week that said laziness is is, is a good thing. We should be more lazy than what we are. 
Do less, it said. Wicked and lazy servant. Then he asked this question. You, you, you knew that, did you? <laughs> That's kind of a sarcastic, you know. You knew that I would take it from you? Did you really know that? Is that what you thought? He, he's, uh, the master is, is tearing his excuse apart. That's what you knew? If you knew that, then you, you should have took the one and at least put it in the bank and let me get some interest off of it. If you were really afraid of me. He proves him here to be phony, fake, liar. Excuses are no good. So here's what he does to him. We said, we said that he, they rewarded the, the other two. Now he's going to punish this one. Here's the punishment. You would think, okay, this guy thinks he's saved and he may, you know, he could be. He's just getting his rewards taken away. You know, he, he ain't going to have no rewards in heaven. He's going to be mopping in the back somewhere. That's not what this says. Watch, it says, verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to the guy who has ten talents. Take away all that I've given him. Take it all away. Give it to the other guy. For every, unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. It's whoever loses his life, will save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake shall gain it. You live for me, you'll get. You don't live for me, you'll get taken away. So he takes away all that he was given. And then it says, verse 30, Take what he has. Take that one away from him. And then take him and cast that unprofitable, that worthless, useless servant who had an opportunity, who had a chance, who had an entire lifetime to serve and he wasted it. You take that unprofitable, you take that worthless, useless servant who has nothing to show for his life, who did nothing, has nothing, gives me nothing, lived for himself his entire life, you take that guy, and it doesn't say, put him in the back room of heaven. That's not what it says. Read it. It doesn't say that. He's not going to get a reward. He don't get a crown. You put him with the foolish, of the second parable and the hypocrites of the first parable. Where did they go? Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Does that sound like he lost his rewards? Does that sound like he's in the back room of heaven somewhere, way back in the crowd? And you've got your faithful up front and, and, and they've got roles and responsibilities and you've got your ones that just kind of coasted through life and, and buried their, their talent and, and buried their, their uh, opportunities and their influence and their, their privileges and, and all that, that God had given them. They just kind of buried it away and lived how they wanted to live. Does this sound like they just still got to heaven? As long as I get my foot in the door. No. Just put them where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You guys know where that's at? We could, I could take you through all of Matthew and tell you that weeping and gnashing of teeth is, is not going to be happening in heaven. Revelation says that there will be no more tears in heaven. So there's no weeping there. There's no gnashing of teeth, which is a, a grinding, fierce a pain that you're in, a tor torment that you can't get rid of. Even an anger that, that, oh my goodness, I'm so mad. I should have done something. I've wasted my life. This ain't rewards taken. This is his life and his heart has been proven by his works that he didn't know the master. 
All three parables that we've studied so far has an element of surprise in them. You with me? So that when Jesus comes back, He's going to expose a lot of false Christians. He did it in all three. The foolish bridesmaids had no idea. The foolish servants and the one before, no clue. And then this guy here standing before the judgment, no clue. That he's wasted his life and now he'll spend his eternity in hell. This guy was an unbeliever. And it wasn't because he didn't serve. Service doesn't save you. But when you get saved, you'll serve. Your service proves your salvation. Is the fruit of. Jesus said it in John 15. You, you take the branch that has no fruit and you cut it off. That's not what you want to hear, is it? Cut that thing down. So the one that has fruit can grow. There will always be wheat and tares. There will always be those who profess and those who possess. This guy here was an unbeliever. And he wasted his life. So as I close, I think this is primarily aimed at people in the church. It says the kingdom of heaven is like, which means in the realm of the rule of God. Amongst us in here today. So I look at you very simply and I say, don't waste your life. I think if, and this is, these are the words of Christ. So from this pulpit today, the words of Christ would be, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. You have a one-time gift from God called a life. 79 years, can't remember how many days, I'll go back. Let's start over. 28,000 days and 692,000 hours. Don't waste what God's given you. Not a second, not an hour, not a day. We don't know how much time we have. You could have, you could be 14 years old in here today. Thinking about my boy. You could have the rest of your life ahead of you. Don't waste your life. You could be 41 in here today. My boy's 14, I'm 41. Just switch the numbers. You're midway through your life. I would look at me today and I'd say, don't waste another day, another hour, another year of your life. You could be at the end. You could even be past the average of 79 where you're, you're saying, okay, God's given me. You get that? The Bible even talks about how 80 years is a, is a blessing from God. If He gives you anything above that, it's just, it's just a, a cherry on top. He's giving you more and more and more and, and more. Don't you waste the second God's given you. I think even in, at, at an age of, of 80 or, or beyond, you should be looking at your life saying, wow, I've got even more excitement and enthusiasm to serve Christ today as I did when I was 41 or, or 14. We should all be stirred today. I've got to serve the Master. It's the noblest, the highest, and the best life that you can live in service of the Master. Live a life that counts. C.T. Studd would say this, one of my favorite quotes. You should probably write it down and put it on social media today. He said this, only one life will soon be passed. And it will, like that. Only what's done for Christ will last. Can we say it again? I'll share it later. Only one life will soon be passed. 
Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's make that commitment. That we will serve Christ today and every day until he returns. That we won't be caught just watching. But when he comes, he'll catch us working. Now for those in here today who's not saved, and there is no doubt someone in this room who is not a believer, or you're a pretend, a phony, a fake believer. There's no doubt about it. In a, in a, with, a, with a crowd this large today, there's somebody here who's not a true, true believer. You say, what has God given me? I'll tell you what he's given you. He's given you an opportunity today to get saved. He doesn't have to give you one of those, does he? He's given you, I mean, and, and, and imagine how many times people who are unbelievers, even sitting in this church, that every single sermon, if you're sitting through sermon after sermon after sermon of mine, you're getting the gospel three times a week. Over and over and over. Here's your chance. Here's your chance. Here's your chance. Here's an opportunity. Here's the door open. Come on. You can be saved. Jesus died. He was buried. He was risen again. He's coming back to judge. You need to believe and be saved. How many more chances is He going to give you? You need to take today and say, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity and jump at it and give my life to Christ. I'm going to put my faith in Him. Don't waste this opportunity to be saved today. Take advantage of it. He may not give you another one. I've heard people say that I'll get saved later. You can't guarantee that you get another chance. You can't guarantee you get another day. Life is a vapor that's passing by like that. If I were you and I had any doubt or if I was an unbeliever, I would say in this moment I'm putting my faith in Christ today. There's two people I want to mention to you before I close. Two lives. One, Saul in the Old Testament. The other, Paul in the New Testament. Saul, at the end of his life, you know King Saul, said this. At the end of his life, I've played the fool, and I've erred exceedingly. It's the end of his life. I've wasted it. That guy was a king. Played the fool and I've erred exceedingly. I've wasted my life. Don't be like Saul. Don't be at the end of your life and say, I've erred exceedingly. I've played the fool. I've wasted my life. I've wasted my life. Be like Paul, who at the end of his life, he said, I fought the good fight. And I've kept the faith. And I've finished the course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. What day is he talking about? The day when we stand before him. And then he adds at the end of that verse, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. You, you with me? That's a great way to end this sermon. Paul looked forward to his appearing and worked all the way up until the day of his death. And he said, I've done. I've given it all. I've given full maximum effort. I've left it all on the field. Nothing more I can give. The only thing left now is the crown he'll give me in that day. And it's not just for me. It's not just for the Apostle Paul. Do you get that? You say, I can never get what Paul did. He, he, look at Paul. He, he wrote uh, books in the New Testament. He, he, he preached to, to thousands. People were, were saved. There's no way I could be like Paul. Paul was faithful with the opportunity and the responsibility God gave him, and he got a crown. If you be faithful with the opportunities and the responsibilities God given you in your life, you'll get the same crown Paul gets. Right. 
to those who love, look forward to his appearing. Who can stand before him one day and say, look what I've given you. Look what I've done for you. The greatest, noblest, best thing that I can do is serve you in this life. Here's what I've got to show for it. Don't waste your life. Live a life that is worthy of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I know it was a time of examination, of looking at our lives and seeing how we're spending them, how we're using them. And I pray, God, I, I hope I came across with the right tone, that we just need to look at our lives and say, should I commit more to the service of Christ? Uh, more time, more effort, using my gifts and my talents and my abilities. I pray it's just an examination and somebody, even me, sitting here today saying, I've got to do more. Not because I have to, but because I want to. That you are such a gracious and generous and kind God who's given me so much, and that's including salvation, that I should want to spend my life serving you. That's evidence of a changed heart. So I pray, God, that you'd help us to do that. That you would work in our hearts, convict us of, of our wasted life, and that we would live it in a way that would honor you. May we make that commitment today. God, I, I need to serve you. Again, not because we have to, but because we want to. And I pray, God, for anyone in here who's an unbeliever, I pray that they wouldn't waste one opportunity here today. That they would put their faith in you now because they may not get another chance. Let them see how wonderful your son is. How gracious and generous and kind it was of you to send us your son. And let them put their faith in him today before it's too late. Use these words by your spirit to accomplish your purpose. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.